welcome to the Motherland podcast. I'm Charlotte Philby, founder and editor of Motherland.net, a digital platform for women who happen to be mums. In an ongoing series of podcasts, I'm joined by various experts and commentators to discuss issues relating to motherhood, parenting, child, pregnancy and life. This week, we're looking at the relationship between kids and technology and as parents, our role within that. Today we're recording at the London School of Economics, where I'm joined by the brilliant Professor Sonia Livingston, Professor of Social Psychology at the LSE and an Executive Board Member for the UK Council for Child Internet Safety. Sonia is also the author of a number of books and studies which look at the way children behave online, not least EU Kids Online, which is considered probably the top leading international study in this area. We're also joined by Bethany Kobe, co-founder and CEO of Technology Will Save Us, which is a pioneering British company which in a very simple explanation, makes DIY gadget kits for grown-ups and kids. They have a mission to educate, enlighten and entertain. Today we'll be discussing some of the many, many issues around kids and technology, from the truth about screen time to how to protect your kids online. So I suppose the truth is we're certainly not the first generation of parents for whom technology is a big looming issue and a largely sort of unknown quantity. But for my parents, it would have been the threat of pages and Game Boys, you know, uh, distracting and sort of unduly influencing their beloved babes somewhere dangerously out of their eyeline. But for my generation, those with kids growing up in a world of social media and associated pressures, a world of Minecraft and online porn, the landscape is much more terrifying. Certainly in my time as a news reporter, I felt myself bombarded by the seemingly endless media stories of iPad addiction, of online grooming and even online bullying. Sonia Livingston has spent the past years observing and speaking to young people about their behaviour online. Thankfully, she has a far more heartening interpretation of the way in which young people are consuming online today. I think it depends a lot on um, the age of the children, the kinds of families children come from. But I suppose the kind of the overwhelming observation is the um, the enthusiasm with which children, actually of all backgrounds at all ages, have responded to the internet and. Mm kind of as if the internet has offered a huge kind of opportunity and space to play and engage that wasn't there in the same way before Mm. and I often think um, children's lives in a way have become quite constrained in lots of ways um, in terms of their kind of freedom to see their friends or to go out or even kind of how to behave at home and so they've embraced the internet with just such astonishing enthusiasm we thought originally it would all be about information and they would, you know, you could discover anything, everything would be at your fingertips and you could, then we had this wonderful idea that it would be a bit like pen pals and you could make friends all around the world. Well, we soon discovered that was not such a good idea and we got a bit paranoid about who children were getting to know online. But, you know, for most of them, the really key thing is talking to their friends online and making widening their friendship circle online not Mm. necessarily meeting strangers but you know kind of widening their friendship circle and finding new places to hang out with each other and share their experiences online Mm. and that that kind of observation exactly captures some of the dilemmas for parents because I think for many parents there's a sense that the children are going off and discovering something that they as parents don't necessarily know about and can't necessarily advise their kids. Definitely for parents like me who know like basically nothing about the online world there's this terrible fear that once online your kids are sort of out there in this wilderness without anyone to guide them and exposed to sort of predators lurking at every corner and yeah there are definitely very real threats to children on the internet as in the offline world 
But Professor Livingston suggests that the majority of children are able to decipher their own filtering system, as they do in real life, to help themselves defend against these potential harms. Children are doing something which is kind of between opportunities and dangers. So make, widening your circle of friends is a lovely thing to do, mm. and meeting strangers is a scary thing to do. And to the parent who doesn't quite understand the latest social network or the latest kind of way of meeting people, mm. it can be a bit hard to tell. But for children, it's just extended their social. Um, I think the wider culture is adjusting quite fast. Mm. And there's a lot of talk about norms and getting kind of better understanding of what's public and what's private or what are the ways to behave. There's been a lot of talk in relation to children about them becoming kind of digital citizens, just yeah. like we'd like them to be good citizens offline. With two young children and a third on the way, the prospect for me of my kids growing up in a world where there is no real separation between the online and offline world, where friendships are conducted as much online as they are face-to-face, where young people have their every mistake irrevocably recorded, and for me that's a fundamental problem, is really scary. Because I don't get it. Because my connection with the online world doesn't extend far beyond Netflix, Facebook, online shopping, and occasionally internet banking. I mean, it's kind of inexcusable for somebody who's a relatively young person as I am. But as a parent, more importantly, it's really a disempowering position to be in. So... Who better to turn to at this point for advice than Bethany Kobe of Technology Will Save Us? I think that the divide between the digital and physical is more a parent's challenge than a young person's challenge. For my son, um, making things with tech or watching things on a screen is the same as making pancakes or doing an art project. It's just an activity to do. So I think the divide is more our challenge than it is his. Um, But when it comes to him kind of navigating digital spaces, um, I think the concerns that we have are around our own ability to um, create boundaries. Mm. So what tools can we use to create boundaries? And there's some really lovely things that are coming out now, like YouTube Kids and Vine Kids which are actually amazing platforms. I mean, they're better than, from a user experience perspective, than I think the ones that are consumer-facing. They're fantastic. Okay, amazing. I'm taking notes. What sorts of things are they? I think that the divide between the digital and physical is more a parent's challenge than a young person's challenge. For my son, um, making things with tech or watching things on a screen is the same as making pancakes or doing an art project. It's just an activity to do. So I think the divide is more our challenge than it is his. Um, But when it comes to him kind of navigating digital spaces, um, I think the concerns that we have are around our own ability to um, create boundaries. Mm. So what tools can we use to create boundaries? And there's some really lovely things that are coming out now, like YouTube Kids and Vine Kids which are actually amazing platforms. I mean, they're better than, from a user experience perspective, than I think the ones that are consumer-facing. They're fantastic. And what sort of things are they? So the YouTube Kids is yeah. a curated collection of YouTube videos okay, that are suitable for, suitable for certain age groups. Yeah. There's different kinds of controls on it. The user experience is a lot more user-friendly, simpler, etc. Um, I mean, these are still in their infancy as far as um, usage, etc. But mm. for these massive organizations that have seen huge um, kind of growth in their own businesses because of the social networks they're creating, to actually see that as an area of 
business development and opportunity I think is a great sign Absolutely. and as a parent it gets me excited to see them doing a great job yeah I'm um, doing it so that makes us excited as parents I think yeah. um, and then I think the other thing is to not see those um, digital tools as pacifiers but yeah. to do them together that's such a good point and actually that really speaks to me because I mean I'm in this really weird situation and I imagine I'm not alone or at least I hope I'm not in that for no real discernible reason other than you know I just sort of had this fear of screens and, and technology and and this sort of alien force coming and sort of taking power over my children um, that I'm really against even my eldest who is four and a half using the iPad and this you know, sort of conflicts with the guidelines in terms of what they're going to be learning and how they're going to be learning at school. Um, and also the sort of the experience of her friends so that, you know, potentially it's quite an isolating way to be. And it's entirely not rational because, you know, I realised that it's the world, way the world is going. And you just have, I just have this thing about kids sitting glued in front of screens when I'm in my most positive parenting mode. And then this is other side. So when I'm not being a proactive parent, when I'm not trying to sort of steer them away from screens and encouraging them to interact and play outside, when it's that moment when everything falls apart and I need to do something, it's the end of the day, it's the witching hour and I need to send an email or make some food or do some washing, the go-to instant fix is to stick them in front of the TV. So there's this weird dichotomy. On one hand, technology is seen as this enemy, but it's also, as you say, this last resort, this sort of passive experience that we're giving into on behalf of our children. A lot of things created for digital media is passive, mm. um, but I think that is a condition of today. It's not a condition of where we will go. Okay. Um, I think there's a lot of exciting products and services being created that are bridging the digital and physical space. Mm. Um, there's amazing new apps and products. I mean, ours is one of them that, that yeah. does do that. Um, and I do think that the future of digital media will not just be consumptive, it will be productive. And the more we as parents can seek out those experiences and participate, and how can you do that? Like for somebody like me mm. who knows absolutely nothing about technology, but I like the idea of sort of inv be involving myself yeah. so that I can sort of be part of that with my kids. Where do you start? Are there any sort of great apps you can look at or places yeah. that you can go to research? I think there's a few things. I think one is um, just the natural inclination of parents to be curious and yeah. to seek out things that are on those edges. Mm -hmm. um, I think there's some more tech-focused um, magazines and areas that are highlighting these things, but unless you see yourself as a tech person, you're probably not looking there. Yeah. But places like Wired and Fast Company and even the FT, those kinds of places are, are seeing these new kind of young person-oriented tech businesses as mm. a kind of new future. Okay. So I do think kind of staying hungry as a parent to find those channels is important. Yeah. Um, and, and then I think the other is finding ways as a parent to stay curious about tech and not see it as a thing that's happening to you mm. but see it as something that I as a mom I want my son to be very literate in technology mm. I want him to see it as a tool for being creative for making things with it's not going anywhere yeah. the more we can see it as a tool that is a is a medium for our kids to be creative with I think the more as parents we can find the things that will help us get there um, and I don't think tech is just the screen. And I think that is a mistake of how parents are viewing tech at the moment, that iPads, laptops, computers, those are screens. Mm. Those are, those are the, that, that's tech. Mm. Tech is sensors, it's hardware, it's all different kinds of materials and mediums, and it's not just the screen. 
But I just wanted to go back to one thing Bethany said about yeah. just how media used to be more passive and just mm -hmm. more consumption. I was talking to a mother just yesterday who was kind of saying one of the things she loved about her daughter was that she reads a lot. And reading a lot, of course, looks like a completely passive activity. Mm. And we do have a different theory about a child staring at a book to a child staring... Staring at a book That's is true. good. Yeah. Staring at a screen seems worrying. Mm. Yeah. So what, are we, what is the difference? The difference is something about how we think their imaginations are being mobilised. Mm. And maybe we need a way of understanding when they're staring at a screen. Mm. Are they imagining? Are they thinking? Are they, you know, mm. working at something... Or is it just coming at them and they're exhausted? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't have any kind of research to yeah. prove this. I think I only have my own experience yeah. with my three-year-old. But yeah. there is something different from an imagination perspective mm -hmm. when I see my three-year-old building things with Legos, mm -hmm. creating spaceships with Kinect yeah. that then mm -hmm. turn into a digger that then turn into yeah. a robot yeah, that have a story that yeah. they've totally created from scratch there is a, yeah. a different yeah. thing happening there than mm -hmm. and i'm just going to call it flow mm -hmm. than the flow of what i see happening when he's watching yeah. dora the explorer mm -hmm. yeah. or when he's even playing with some of my favorite apps mm -hmm. it's a it's a different kind of and i don't know what it is and i'd love to know more about mm -hmm. that but mm -hmm. that state of flow Mm. that feels quite passive mm. um, than the, yeah, well, the like physicality. I like what Charlotte said about, so then it's the, is that, you know, where does the story come from? Mm. So if something is unfolding over time, is that a story that the child has had to make up and kind of push forward? Or is that something that is coming at them that, as you say, it puts you into the flow, which mm. can be quite relaxing. Mm. We all need that sometimes. Absolutely. Um, and you might learn new, you know, engage in new worlds or something, but it doesn't demand that you make those decisions and that you kind of develop a particular knowledge or imagination. I think there's also something about, like, stages of development mm. that's really important as well, that yeah. certain age groups are developing certain parts of their understanding in their brains and mm. can actually like following instruction mm. at a very young age is a very rewarding experience. Mm. Whereas when you get older, instruction might just be a hindrance to something much more creative. And I think I, I feel this because of what we're building, that mm. more um, organizations that are building things for the next generation are taking those things into consideration when creating their products and services. So when it comes to the quality of technology and our children's experience within that, things are beginning to seem clearer. But how about the quantity? The term screen time is one that is filtered into our everyday lexicon as a parent. How much is too much time is a constant source of debate among scientists and parents alike. The data is certainly conflicting. In the UK, for instance, there's been no formal medical or government guidelines issued on screen time. While in the US, in the 2013, the Department of Health recommended that children under two should have no screen time at all. And over that, the maximum leisure screen time, as they call it, should be no more than two hours a day. But apparently now that's all changed too. Here's Professor Sonia Livingston to explain more. In, in the States, they've recently revised the advice um, and they've moved away from the simple rule, which is for over twos, two hours a day okay. max yeah. of all screen time, because it was just beginning to become meaningless. What is screen time? Well, that's it. You know, there are so many screens and <laughs> yeah. they're always on. And are yeah. you attending and are you not yeah. attending? And how do you decide what's leisure and what's schoolwork mm -hmm. and what's Skyping granny? Mm -hmm. And, you know, it just doesn't add up. So what they're now trying to say is... 
quality of screen time Mm. it's not really (laughs) going to help parents make you know Mm. nuanced decisions but it is trying to say yes actually it does matter if the screen is to skype granny or to do you know even to watch dora the explorer or to build something with scratch or whatever you know these things really make a difference Mm. or are you um perhaps the screen is on but really you're playing lego with your brother or sister in front of the screen Mm. and you know there's lots of quality judgments and i think parents know that instinctively and they also know when they think their child has spent too long which they don't tell by looking at their watch they tell by looking, looking at, at the face. child yeah yes. there's an there's a, yeah. there's a there's a moment of frenzy that i can yeah. really see it's a little bit like when she's eating too much chocolate or yeah you know and i get that when i'm yeah. working on the screen all day yeah. and you just need to have that moment where you step or, away or a kind of moment of just kind of tuning out and you realize they kind of you know just yeah. the not world really is responsive and, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But you're not really present yeah yeah so i think you know rather than rules parents should probably you know feel more confident in looking at their child and thinking have they done a balance of things today have they you know had a mix is it are they obsessed with one thing all the Mm. time are they yes have they got that zoned out look in their eyes (laughs) I mean I would I would say that I do Mm. think that the conversation is actually not about the screen Mm. I think the screen again is a it's a tool yeah it can be seen as a tool Mm. we've gone and done like photo scavenger hunts with my son and like Mm. we're taking photos with screens Mm. but we're outside so Mm -hmm. the idea that the screen has to be this one dimensional static static thing is it's not at all and we know that however I think it's the perception of what we think it is is supposed to be or is is kind of doing most of the time Um, and I do think it's more about balance and diversity and Mm. activities and exposing young people to different kinds of things yeah. with screens, without screens, yeah. even if the screen was a part of all of it. Mm-hmm. But it, one was cooking, one was art, one was photography, one was coding. One, mm-hmm. The screen is just the tool that's part of those experiences. And yeah. I do think it's about diversity. Um, and, and I would prefer that conversation, actually, than yeah. the one about screen time. Because that, yeah. for me as a parent starts making me feel stressed and I want to create like rules as opposed to be inventive with my son about what we're going to do. Okay, but actually, in fact, like you say, rather than seeing technology as this sort of foreign enemy, a threat, we should be looking at ways of incorporating tech into our lives to enrich what we're already doing. That's where everything is going. There's just going to be more and more of the screen part of everything else, but it's the activity that is primary rather than the screen necessarily. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, one of our like foundations when we started the business. I mean, we're called a very provocative name. Technology will save us, and yeah. not you know accidentally. Yeah, it's yeah. because it's not going anywhere, yeah. and we see a future where families, young people, parents can use tech as this really what it is, which is this incredibly empowering potential. Yeah. But in order to do that, you kind of have to get under the hood a bit and make it less closed and separate and which is what the world of consumer electronics has become Mm -hmm. and this idea of taking it apart breaking it fixing it inventing something it just changes your relationship of it i guess so you're you're shifting the power dynamics so you're no longer sort of owned by this thing you're becoming part of it and using it to your advantage yeah i think i just think i and i agree i think that's where the future is going Mm. um there's just lots of ways we're going to get there somehow Mm. Can I make one other point about time? Of course. Because I think 
parents are often kind of look at a child who's, I don't know, just got a new computer game or just discovered something new and then they become obsessed with it for a while and mm. you think, oh my goodness, they're never going to do anything else and they spend hours and hours. And sometimes, um, you know, we probably all do that. We know you, you actually do need to spend hours and hours with one thing and it does become a bit obsessive. And that's when you have to say to yourself, it's not that you need balance in every single day, but next week they'll probably have moved on to something different. Or in a month they'll have got it in proportion and they'll have stopped becoming obsessed by this and realised what it can give them and what it doesn't give them. And, yeah. you know, So we also have to give kids a bit of space to come to their own sense of balance yeah. and not always be kind of asking them, have you done your half an hour of this and half an hour of that? But they, you know, they do have a kind of sense of balance and they will come to that realisation themselves yeah. very often. Last year, I spoke to the Children's Commissioner, Dr Maggie Atkinson, about some of the issues facing parents in terms of protecting our young people online. A number of interesting points were raised. Among those, she raised the fact that as parents, we're always going to be kind of playing catch-up with our kids online as in the real world. It's always been that way and it's always going to be that way. But the key, she said, is to make sure that you are the person that they turn to when questions arise. So that isn't just about tooling yourself up with the latest IT school skills or being on every social network your kids are on because, let's face it, that's kind of creepy and weird. It's about being a trusted parent, someone they can rely on when things get hard. But acquiring the basic skills to ensure that you can help your children at the start of their journey and have that conversation without sort of completely losing the thread of what's going on does also have its benefits. For more on that, here is Bethany Kobe. I mean, I think there's two things on that. One is I think doing it together is a really interesting way of approaching some of these uncharted territories. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I was, we, we've been thinking about this a lot. When, mm-hmm. when will our son join Facebook? Yeah. When will he join Instagram? Yeah. How will he join that? Yeah. Like, what, will Facebook still be there? What, yeah, what is that, yeah. that going to be? And, and yeah. you know, I don't have the answer, but there is a part of me that sees doing it as a part of life, as a... Let's let's start Instagram together. Let's create the same way you do with anything yeah. somehow. Yeah. You create boundaries. You create you empower your children to be able to make decisions. Mm. Yeah. And I think the same is true in the wide world of the internet as it is in the wide real yeah. world. Yeah. Yeah. Talking to strangers, approaching people. Yeah. You know, these are values that kind of live in both spaces and I I do think if you're empowering your your children to be able to make decisions and to be able to share things so that you can navigate together. Mm. I personally will feel more comfortable. It's still terrifying, but what you can do as a parent is to help your kids navigate, right? Which is what you can help them do in the real real world. world. Recently, they've also got to walk down the street and get a bus by themselves and cycle to school or do all kinds of... Mm. My goodness. So, yes, if you can think in the same kind of way, you know, you want to see them taking the first step so you know that they can do it and you want to guide them taking the following steps so that you know they've had good advice and Mm. you want a good relationship with them so that when something goes wrong... they'll tell you and you can kind of make those adjustments and I think you know there's lots of research that says that children do turn to their parents they do listen to their parents they do want that from their parents but if their parents get scared if their parents get punitive their parents say you do anything wrong and I'll take your phone away Mm. you know then you break the channel Mm. of communication Mm. and then actually you know paradoxically the child is more on their own so and there's a curious kind of advantage now that kids are going online younger than they used to because when they went online first as teens those were difficult times for parents and children to suddenly start talking about something new but now they're going on really young you know you have you have a good 10 years to 
get conversations and trust about technology in place before things go, you know, reach the crazy teenage years. Yeah. So, you know, maybe in a way them going online earlier is better and the parents have got time to learn with them. Mm-hmm. Hold hands. Mm-hmm. So finally, in terms of the best resources for parents who, like me, would love to find out more ways about sort of putting on parental controls on your computer which I think are sort of available in mo- for most software and most programs but aren't always totally obvious and to learn a bit more about creating a safe productive online art environment is there anywhere that you Sonia could recommend us for us to start? There are, there are lots of places to go um, perhaps the, the key one is the um, UK Safer Internet Centre yeah. which has a fantastic website which tr- really tries to keep up to date with the latest social networking sites and the latest you know how can you you know what are the possibilities um, Internet Matters is really good and it tells you exactly how to do the kind of safety management of every single device you might own um, where I still think there could be more is what we said before about a portal that says here are great places to go. But I know a lot, you know, the BBC does a really good job there mm-hmm. and they're becoming more and more organisations that I think are worth kind of hunting, Brilliant. hunting down. Yeah. Well, that's it for today's podcast. Huge thanks once more to Professor Sonia Livingston and Bethany Kobe and to you all for listening. If you want more information on the subjects we've been talking about today, please visit us at motherland.net a site for women who happen to be mums. We'd also love you to subscribe to our podcast, which you can find on our site and also on iTunes. And if you like what you've heard, or even if you don't, please get in touch. We'd love to hear your feedback and any ideas for subjects that you'd like covered in the podcast in future. The email is hello at motherland.net or you can tweet us at motherlandnet. Also, please follow us on Instagram, which is also at motherlandnet and on Facebook, which is confusingly Motherland Network. Please join us again next month for the next Motherland podcast. Until then, thanks for listening.